Hey everybody, I'm Brittany Harlow with VNN and I am on the chopping block at visceralchange.org. This is what we do. I don't have anything to say. No, really? I'm nervous. Yeah. That's your easy listening station. I'm there right now. Why? <laughs> You're listening to the chopping block. You're listening to the chopping block. You're listening to the chopping block. The one on the Visceral Change Podcast. Welcome back everybody to this episode of the chopping block. Season four is well underway. As you know, we have a lot of fantastic guests, and today is absolutely no different. I am here with my old friend, Brittany Harlow. Brittany, how are you today? Doing good. Doing good. Good to see you. It's been a really long time. For those who don't know, Brittany is the founder and director and lead journalist at Verified News Network, VNN, and they are based in Oklahoma. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about um, sort of your journey into just the field, really, of media, communications, the whole nine, um, and talk a little bit more about how you've seen diversity, equity, and inclusion really uh, find its mark, in, 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 or I should say where it, it holds a place in general right. <laughs> in the work of DEI, and, and, and dare I say if, <laughs> in the media world. Sure, so sure. what I'd like to do with my guests, I'd like to start from the beginning, or, <laughs> or as much of the beginning as possible. Now, you are... Born originally in New Mexico. Were you raised there early on as well? Uh, no, we actually left when we were about six months old. Oh, and me and my twin with, sister. <laughs> and then you and I met in Massachusetts, but you didn't. You didn't leave and go to Massachusetts directly, did you? No. And so uh, we were born in New Mexico. Military family. Dad was in the Navy, and so um, when we were ready to fly, I guess you could say. Uh, we actually moved to South Korea, where my oh. father was stationed, uh, and we ended up living there for a few years. Um, unfortunately, our parents got divorced, and so my dad stayed in South Korea, and my mom brought us back to the United States, where we were in New Mexico for a short amount of time, and then ultimately moved to Massachusetts when we were uh, around three and a half, four years old, somewhere around there, I guess. And ah. we Bounced around Massachusetts for a while. <laughs> okay. I, and a piece of that Massachusetts stock was Malden, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And that's where we met in that's middle right. school. <laughs> and your twin sister, Belinda. Uh, and, you know, we've always had, we've always had a strong relationship. Strong enough. Like we, I don't know if we ran in the same circles on the outside, but uh, we we were in the same class, so we definitely knew each other. We wherever something was happening, we were certainly there at the same time for sure. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as small as the city was, there's there's, there's no question about it. But I'd be curious, though, as someone who's moved around and comes from a military family, um, to add that additional context, talk a little bit about about coming up in the various countries and states in which you came up, the various cities, and sort of what role that played in shaping the woman who we see in front of us today and who we're <laughs> Well, um, I would say that moving around, uh, definitely you have to be really adaptable. Um, you have to, uh, you know, if you're going to have somewhat of a, a happy, contented life, you have to learn how to get along uh, with different people. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't really remember too much of living in uh, South Korea because I was, you know, really young. Um, and I'm sure as a young child, you pretty much <laughs> get along with everyone. You're not really molded <laughs> yeah, right. uh, into uh, one type of person or another. But I would say that definitely 
uh, when we, my earliest memories are when I lived in Stoneham. So I lived in Stoneham uh, right. for a couple of years. Uh, and so we lived in, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty nice neighborhood. Um, and then unfortunately my, uh, mom got divorced again after she had gotten married and we moved to Lynn, uh, in a neighborhood that was, uh, maybe not what you would call the greatest neighborhood. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, kind of, a there's a lot of crime, a lot of poverty. And so mm. it's definitely different than the really nice place that this kind of, I used to call it the white house that we lived in, in Stoneham. I went uh, back and visited it, it, you know, later in life, and it was not as big <laughs> as I remembered right, when I was a right. child, but obviously it was huge then. Um, and so we moved around, uh, you know, a lot of different places. I lived in Malden, probably the biggest chunk um, of my childhood that I could remember, that the, the biggest uh, span of time. And, and I loved Malden. Um, I loved the diversity there. I loved, um, you know, uh, so many people from so many different backgrounds. Um, I did, unfortunately, when I was younger, get into a lot of mischief and a lot of trouble. So it's probably mm. one of the reasons why we weren't <laughs> in the, a lot of the same <laughs> uh, circles uh, outside of school. It's because I was probably up to no good <laughs> somewhere. Um, I remember then... those days. All of us were, all of us have to, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I don't mean to cut you off. I was, I don't mean to cut you off. Your, your sister shared a, like a, a before and after picture once on I think it was on like Snapchat and I was oh, like I, I was like <laughs> it was like when she was 14 I go I remember this girl I remember her and entirely I remember the pose I remember the look I remember the whole nine and you know we were talking a little bit about how you know all of us myself included we we had a journey for sure that <laughs> that we kind of keep in we kind of keep in the background so I don't mean to cut you off but yes please continue Oh, well, I mean, and that, that is just a really big part of who I was. Like when, you know, unfortunately my mom did get uh, divorced a couple of times. And so a majority of our childhood that she was a single mom. Um, and even when, you know, she had remarried, uh, unfortunately, uh, the man that she was married to was an alcoholic at that time. And uh, so he was uh, pretty neglectful at times. And we had a really uh, rough childhood that I think it's different because I think a lot of, you know, there's so much out there today about childhood trauma and how that impacts developments and, and behaviors. Uh, but at the time, you know, being a really rambunctious young child who, uh, you know, took care of herself for a good amount of her life, um, I, I think that I got probably a, a, an extra amount of uh, maybe judgment, even from adults, um, mm -hmm. that I kind of have, have had to to go through. And then even we left Malden uh, for a change. And then we went to Belmont, <laughs> which was uh, very uh, rich and upscale uh, town yep. that I certainly did not fit into uh, one bit, did not live there for very long, got into some good trouble uh, there. And then uh, we eventually moved to Woburn, which was another area that was, you know, a little more my style. So I would say like through the moving around, um, through, you know, living in a single parent household where your mom worked a lot, all of those, um, they were not easy, but I definitely would not be uh, the kind of person I am today. Uh, certainly not the kind of business owner, would not probably be the same journalist if I didn't go through all those those struggles during that time. And that's, and that's really important. And I, I don't believe I've had anybody on who 
who's from the from the same city shares the same own experience that that I can connect to in that way. I've had someone on from Lynn, and you know, Lynn, for all its challenges, you know, is is most of that is grounded in like the, the system, if you will, whether it is you know uh, policies that are created in a way to 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 keep people a little bit regressed. And and gentrification is really running rampant in, in Lynn now and even Malden. I don't know the last time you've been there, but you know, I your experience is not unlike one that I've heard. And it's also something that I think those who find themselves in in those negative situations um are also trying to find ways to to be somebody else. A lot of it is, is not is not by choice in some cases. And when I think about Malden during our time. You know, I love to say between 02 and 06, I mean, Malden was in some cases right there with with other cities in terms of some of the challenges we experienced. And you went over a few <laughs> a few of those. And I'd be curious to know, was there a point in time throughout middle school, throughout high school? And I want to say you and I had science together with uh, Mr. Bowers. <laughs> Were you in that class with me? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much I was in that class, but I do remember being assigned to that class. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember that class a little bit, and you you sat you sat near me. And uh, mm-hmm. my question to you is: Was there ever a time in your youth you talked about how you didn't see you don't see yourself being the business owner you are today, or the journalist even without this? But was there a time in your youth where you were like, "This is this is my apex. I don't because of my circumstance in my circumstances." I'm not going to amount to much. Um, no, I would say Good. no. Um, uh, I, I definitely, it was difficult for me because, um, and again, it's really stuff that I didn't learn until my thirties. So within like the last five or so years, mm-hmm. um, I, in a lot of ways, I thought that I was very dumb or unintelligent, which kind of forced me to, uh, I mean, I guess it didn't force me, but it definitely influenced me to don't go to this class. Don't, you know, this isn't for you, this area. We've, I've had uh, teachers in high school that told me that I would never go to college, you know, and that I would not just because we got into so much trouble. But it was later that I I learned that, you know, when you're neglected and abused when you're younger, if you don't have that kind of rich development that you need to have your brain develop, then you will your brain is not going to develop the way that it would if you, you know, were being taken care of uh, correctly and not having to overcome those. And so, um, you know, I, I, I learned that why math was really hard for me is because I, you know, I hadn't developed yet. I hadn't really developed uh, correctly, I would say, in those, in those ways. But for me, um, <clears throat> it was really hard in high school because, you know, I knew that I wasn't a bad, you know, horrible kid, but I also didn't feel like I had any idea what I wanted to do with my life. It was only, Mm. uh, so I actually, you know, I went from Malden to Belmont. Um, I was held back in Malden and I was put into the recapture Academy. I don't know. Uh, that was a very short lived program, uh, where it was kind of like, (laughs) are you familiar with that? I, 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 you know what? I feel like it rings a bell, but not enough for me to to say I'm familiar. Recapture. Uh, yeah, so basically it was like a 12.30 to 4.30 or some kind of afternoon program that where you were basically separated from the rest of the high school with a group of other challenge kids. Uh, and that, you know, it was it was uh, 
just not, it was kind of like learn at your own pace, do whatever you want. But it was a nut house, honestly, <laughs> like with the, with the kids. Yeah, it was uh, from Dr. Brown. It was his idea. Um, and so we, I, I mean, I definitely, there's programs like that. I think that, um, you know, for all like the hard feelings that I had at the time, there are programs like that, you know, 10, 20 years later that are thriving. Um, but for me, you know, we went to Belmont instead. We're like, you know, let's get out of here. Let's try a new place. Um, but the problems that we had, you know, still followed us. And so mm. we ended up, um, I quit school during that uh, repetition of my sophomore year. And I never graduated high school. Uh, mm. So I kind of bummed around for a while until I was 18. And then I decided that I wanted something better and that, um, I needed some kind of direction, so I went and I got my GED, and then I went to college from there. Nice. Yeah, wonderful. That's actually a, a solid transition because that's popping up next. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, child, <laughs> childhood, uh, teenage years, total dumpster fire. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's – when I think about um, – when I think about cancel culture in particular – Usually it doesn't extend that far back to our youth, but it, it puts into perspective the reality, really, that, as Malcolm X sort of once said, we were all at one point in time somebody we're not today. Mm-hmm. And you you touched beautifully on this idea that if the brain's not developed, it can only use, I, I'm, now, I'm now going to infer from what you said, if your brain's not developed, you can only use 100% of what you have access to. I mean, that's the reality of a situation. And nobody should be held accountable for information they do not have. I mean, I can't, I can't stress that enough. When I do my own DEI work, I, I lead with the reality that you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you have the information, I can hold you accountable. But if you don't have it, I can't expect you to have it. I can't hold you accountable in the same way. Right? And so as you talked about the, you know, the youthful years and, and, and coming up, you know, we all have some stories for sure and some discussions to, to, to talk through. And sometimes we, we don't dig as far back on our Facebook, old Facebook messages or, you know, uh, stuff like that as, as <laughs> for, a re- <laughs> for a reason. But, uh, but I appreciate you, you sharing that because it's, it, you know, it's been a while since I have sat in a, in a Malden memory. And I remember when you all left and, and uh, we recognized it. We recognize you all. We saw you all in school for sure. We recognize a lot of, the, I remember a lot of the stories you shared and um, a lot of the things folks went through, but I, I, I don't want, I don't want you and other people leaving this conversation and podcast thinking that it was as a youth, this was something that, that, that you were the antagonist. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you were a product of your environment as was I, and as was everybody else who was involved in that, that particular time. So, I just want to reinforce for the listeners because the rest of the story is really going to get people excited who shared a similar experience as you did, Brittany, as you, as you move through. So let's talk about, you know, post 18 and, and you're, you're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still in Massachusetts at this time or have you, have you moved to a different state? <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm still here. Um, unfortunately, uh, I ended up, getting into an abusive relationship when I was like 18, 19, um, that I feel like really held me back. Um, 
But it was really kind of at that point that I broke out of that, that I was like, you know, I, I'm going to be somebody, I, I need to do something with my life. Um, and so it's funny uh, that it's <laughs> the unbelievableness. I, I wanted to be an actress. I was like, you know, <laughs> reach hey. for the stars, <laughs> I guess. Um, and I was like, but I can't just do that. I was actually, I took acting classes at Boston. I went, um, I was starting to get some traction, like getting callbacks, but I was like, I need a backup plan. So I enrolled in college at Middlesex Community College um, in Lowell. And to, I was thinking that a good kind of foot in the door would be an entertainment news reporter. And so I was like, okay, you know, I can do that. That sounds like a fun backup job and that I can do while being an actress. And so mm-hmm. I started to take these journalism classes. Um, and that's, that's when it clicked. Like that, huh. like, wow, I love journalism. I absolutely don't want to do entertainment news. I want to do like heavy hitting investigative journalism. Uh, nice. And and that and that's kind of where I kind of took off. I, I, I did most of my classes in Lowell. I did some in Bedford. I want to say I was like halfway through getting my um, associate's degree when my sister, kind of going back to her, uh, she, meanwhile, had moved out to New Mexico, where we were from, ended up mm-hmm. getting married. Uh, and then she ended up moving here to Oklahoma uh, and inherited a house with her then husband. Um, and uh, shortly after they moved there, I want to say they had been there for maybe like four or five months, she mm-hmm. asked me to move here to Oklahoma to help her, you know, help out with the new house that they were having to restore and with her new baby that she mm-hmm. had just had that January, who I had actually not met yet. Oh. <laughs> wow. So I so said, we... okay, <laughs> I said, sure. Why not? I'll just transfer to a uh, college out there and you know, I'll, I'll switch it Change up. And... So, so um, <clears throat> you mentioned, Excuse me, you mentioned being an actress. And are you still singing, by the way? Uh, I mean, I, uh, thank you. Yes, I, well, I sing, uh, I sing in my car. I sing my child to bed. (laughs) But uh, that's pretty much where my, my singing comes in is singing my child to sleep at night. That's fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) I remember you doing, uh, Junior Varieties singing. Ah, yes. Do you remember the song? Of course. Yes, I do. I remember the song. I remember the performance. I, I was I was emceeing that year. That's why I remember it. So okay, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Not to cut in with that, but I actually remember uh, even before Junior Varieties doing uh, the Wizard of Oz, which my mom just sent me photos of that. Ah. <laughs> me and my sister, because Belinda was the scarecrow and I was oh. Dorothy in the, that picture that she sent me, and I was was that like, where was that Salemwood. Once you said Belinda was a scarecrow, I, I, I like it triggered. I was like, Wait seventh a minute. grade, seventh grade, yeah, school. So you were you were cut out to me in front of the camera at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's the moral of this particular story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you also did some time working for like for the postal service at one point, right? Later on, postal uh, FedEx. Yeah, FedEx. yeah, I yeah, yeah at, FedEx. Oh man, that I worked at. Well, when I was, I want—I don't even remember when I started there. It was when it was Kinko's. I worked in Boston oh, Government Center, and I—I I loved it. Like you know, we worked right, right next to the courthouse, and um, that was pr- 
pretty much the best job I've ever had. Like I worked in wow. at Kinko's slash FedEx office in Boston. Then I went and I worked there at Salem, New Hampshire. And I even worked there here in Tulsa, like combined total of probably over 10 years. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So that put me through college. <laughs> it, which is because you, you, what I found was that you jumped from Kinko's slash FedEx to Cox Media Group. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's, that's a, from the outside looking in, that's, that's a pretty big jump because you're going from really one discipline to the other. Uh, what, what prompted this? Was this the, the, were you still grappling with the, um, your time at Middlesex where you're like, Hmm, I want to do uh, entertainment television. And so I'm just going to go ahead and, and make this happen. Or how do you move from Kinko's FedEx to Cox media group? Well, Cox here, um, the Cox media group that I worked for here was KRMG. And so, and it is, I, I've done all media. Like I feel like the work that I, do, I did at uh, Kinko's now FedEx office, like that's where I learned how to use Photoshop. That's where I learned oh. how to do document creation, all kinds of like media presentations. Um, uh, and so that is where I really honed those schools, like graphic design without ever really needing to go to college for that. So even yes. when I went to college for media, I knew a lot of that stuff. And I, it was just kind of like picking up tip, tips and tricks. I could navigate it really well and I loved it. But uh, Cox Media Group uh, here is um, obviously they do like, you know, they have internet and phones and like all Mm -hmm. this kind of different services. But um, Cox owns KRMG Radio, which is the news radio station that I worked at um, as soon as I graduated Uh college. So I graduated um, on a Friday. No, I'm sorry. I think it was a, a Friday or a Saturday, one of those two days. And then I started at the radio station on Monday. <laughs> so like oh, wow. two days later right after graduating, <laughs> I started um, at the radio station, which was interesting. I wanted, I always wanted to be a television reporter. And even mm-hmm. before I went to college, um, when I was looking to be, you know, the entertainment TV reporter, you don't get hired without a bachelor's degree. And so that's why mm. I was like, all right, I got to start it. I got to get it going. Um, but I always wanted to be a TV reporter, but I couldn't, um, I was kind of in a hard spot when I got out of graduated college because I got married and I was with someone who didn't want to move. And like the biggest part of being a TV reporter is you have to move to the middle of nowhere uh, uh, for a few years and get, you know, get your live training out of the way. Yeah. So your t- mess ups where not many people can see you. And then you can <laughs> move to a, a bigger station a market like Tulsa. Um, but unfortunately, the gentleman I was with did not want to move anywhere. And so I was pretty much stuck in this big market um, right. when I graduated college. And uh, I got in at a radio station and I became a producer for them part time until I eventually uh, became a full time news reporter for the news radio station, as well as a you know somewhat anchor occasionally, like on the weekends. Sure. Um, and I did that for about a year. And you, you got your, your bachelor's is in communication and media studies, and that's from Northeastern State University. Well, yeah. And so it's interesting because it changed so many times. Like when I was in Boston getting it, uh, it was mass comm. And then ah. uh, when I went, to, I went to Tulsa Community College to finish my associates, and I got mm-hmm. it, um, I want to say it was, uh, broadcasting 
And then okay. when I finally got my bachelor's from Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, uh, here about an hour from where I'm at now, uh, it was media studies. And so okay, media it's studies. pretty much that's a very nice umbrella term. <laughs> it, covered, it covers anything. Well, that's what I tell people now. Anything media, I can do it. <laughs> there you go. Well, on my side of the house, you know, ethnic studies is some places have that as a degree, but largely it is it is a reference to like African-American studies, Mexican-American studies, anything that is is ethnically or racially diverse and as a as a focus. So I understand media studies sort of being that that umbrella um, for sure. You mentioned how you mentioned how advancement in this particular field and and really most fields is almost impossible without a degree. You going back for that bachelor's degree was that sort of a, a cementing of you saying this is what I am going to do for the rest of my life? Did that kind of affirm that for you? Oh yeah, like I mean, I I'm pretty I'm pretty tenacious, I think. So as nice. soon as I set my mind to something. I know that I'm going to do it. And so um, it wasn't kind of like if I'm going to be a reporter, it was more like when. When, uh, yeah. And it was just that it took me six years to get the bachelor's. I started late, you know. I started yeah. part-time in the beginning. So uh, even when I eventually did make it to television reporting, um, I was a lot older than the other people, mm -hmm. uh, other reporters just starting out. And that was kind of, you know, a self-conscious thing that I had to get over. Uh, but thankfully, uh, my mom gave me some good genes. And so when people <laughs> learn my real age, they were kind of shocked. They had no idea that uh, I was you know, four <laughs> or five years older than them. <laughs> you know, I had, it's odd to say that you're a non-traditional graduate student. But when I started my master's program, I was at least in my cohort. I was on the older side. Uh, we, had an, we had an older cohort. I shouldn't say that. But uh, what I really mean to say is when I left that cohort and went to my first professional job in higher ed, which was at UNC Chapel Hill in the residence halls, I was definitely one of the older hall directors that we had. And it, it really showed based on the, the interactions, my interests in certain things and, and the conversations I had no interest in being a part of at that <laughs> yeah. point in my life. <laughs> right? Definitely. Uh, I feel I that. I get that. <laughs> uh, September 13th, 2012, that ring a bell to you? Um, no. <laughs> As I understand, it's the day you published your first article. Oh, shoot. You know, I should have, <laughs> I should have, I should have uh, remembered that. <laughs> that and was you, you, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I understand why you might not. I did. I me. just, well, I just shared it too, but that's when you, the, uh, I just fell right out. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't listen. I'm terrible with with dates now. Like you asked me, what did you do? What did you eat today? I don't know. I can't tell you. So I would not know uh, if Facebook <laughs> didn't tell me. <laughs> exactly, so. exactly. That happened with birthdays too for my people out there. You know, yeah. Just yeah. I know. I know when your birthday is. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks, Facebook. <laughs> you uh, and that was 2012. Was before you made the official jump into the to the media world. And so I'd be curious <laughs> to know, uh, Brittany, where was your head at? at that point in time and when you had the chance to, to write this article and finally get it published, what did that mean to you as you were going on this journey? Um, it was, it was great. Like I, I, I definitely uh, felt the power of that achievement uh, after, you know, so many years of being in school and working towards this. 
um, it was our student newspaper and that is probably the class that I looked forward to the most uh, because it you know it even though it is a school newspaper um, you know it it's, it's having your work as yeah. a journalist published and shareable um, and uh, it was it was a really big step as far as being an official journalist that's pretty much yeah. when I when I first felt like I was a real journalist at that point I like that I like that I when I was in grad school I had a a, a sort of a creative work if you will published that gave me very much the same feeling like wow and this is going to live here forever and, and yeah. it's, it's I'm it real <laughs> exactly uh, you can see me yeah you know and just affirming what you said earlier, you know, even as my memory serves, you were always uh, a go-getter. You know what I mean? You talked about being uh, driven and when you put your mind to something, you go for it. And, you know, fiercely independent is how I've always, how I remember you and how I've always seen you. Um, very much a uh, on my own terms type of personality. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it happen when I'm ready. I'll go when I'm ready. I'll do this if and when I want to type of type of piece. So you being the founder of something like VNN doesn't surprise me. Um, but my question is, was being an entrepreneur, that entrepreneurial path, was that always the goal or did you kind of fall into that? It's, it's interesting. And this is something like a relic that I'm always searching for. I had um, a professor at Middlesex Community College. Um, I want to say his name was Sullivan. Um, he's unfortunately passed away. He was like a really, uh, uh, he worked at the sun up there. I think the Lowell sun. Um, and he was like a, like a, a real old newspaper guy. Um, and so I remember asking him when I was taking his class for news writing, like how would one go and like, if they were to put their own publication and it was just such a, I remember he's just like, what? <laughs> like, huh. Um, it was like, well, you could do it this way. And I, it was, you know, I hate to sound super old, but it's like the capabilities of the internet, you know, back then were yeah. not, you know, as robust. Um, and so I was like, I, I would do it as like a, like an online, like a website. And, yeah. you know, I wrote it all on like a piece of paper and that was a goal and I kind of tucked it away. Um, and, you know, kind of fit back into that traditional mold and, and working for, um, you know, an established news organization. Mm -hmm. It went from newspaper and then, you know, TV. And I was okay with, you know, going to a newspaper out of college, but I was afraid that, you know, the newspaper jobs are, you know, news, even before now, newspapers yeah. have been shuttering and closing. Out, and yeah. it's just a very um, volatile uh, industry to, to, to be a part of. But, right. um, no, I mean, it's interesting because when I got a job at the radio station, I, I was like, man, I really wanted to be a TV reporter. But then I fell in love with it. And I was like, man, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to be a lifer here. And then I got laid off after a year Ooh. of working there. The whole um, last hired, first fired kind of right. mentality. Uh, and then I was kind of in shock. And my news director at the time, um, April Hill, who is still a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends here in Tulsa, um, was like, you need to, she saw me like moping, like putting my stuff away and kind of like in shock. And she was just like, what are you doing here? Like looking all mopey. We need to put your television reel together. We need to 
you know, send you out there and get, yeah. get you a new job. And, and so she reached out to someone that she used to, that used to be an intern for her that worked at a television station in Texas. And I applied to a couple other places, uh, television stations that were in the general vicinity, uh, you know, an hour to two hours away right. that I didn't get jobs at when I had applied uh, a year before that. But then all, all three said that they wanted to hire me. And so hey. I actually went down uh, to Sherman, Texas and interviewed down there at their main station. Um, and that was the one that April had recommended that, you know, her former intern was now uh, the, the evening anchor for. Um, and so I, I took a leap and I took a job with them and I ended up working for the TV station down there for three years. I really exciting. Yeah. It was Sherman where? So it's Sherman, Texas. The Sherman, area Texas, is called, Texas. yeah, Texoma. It's a very super North Texas. Uh, so we covered North Texas and Southern Oklahoma, which for the first okay. year I was with them, I was actually in Oklahoma. I was in Ada, Oklahoma, which is a few hours uh, from where we are now. Speaking of Texas and Oklahoma, do you know why Oklahoma has the key shape? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's because, <laughs> of, of, of course I do. <laughs> when when Texas was applying for statehood, a piece of what they wanted, and no surprise, is to maintain holding on to enslaved people, right? They wanted to maintain that. However, the the boundary line at that point in time was sort of at Missouri, right? So we know about the Missouri Compromise mm -hmm. and that particular line. And Texas was stretching over that. And so they wanted to hold on to their property so badly that they just gave up space and said, you know, we'll bring the line down to here. And that's why Oklahoma has that little panhandle that comes across that was originally Texas's. Really? <laughs> Man. Really interesting, right? So, yeah, so a lot of interesting history when, here. <laughs> when you talked about serving North Texas and Southern Oklahoma, it, it reminded me of that and that made total sense. It's pretty uh, much the same thing. No, <laughs> I will mean, yeah, sure. get a lot of people mad if I say that. <laughs> well, if there's any way you can say it, it's going to be here. Welcome to the chopping <laughs> block. Hey. <laughs> so that's, I think that's a beautiful segue into BNN, where we can get to really the, the, the meat of what you do today and uh, who, why, why you are who you are and why you do the work that you do. So this entrepreneurial spirit kind of developed over time and, it was a, a little bit of your friend saying, let's, let's get you back out here. Like there's more to you than this. And you can, you can actually define yourself and sort of the message I take from there. So let's talk about VNN. Tell me a little bit, Brittany, tell the audience, what is it? Uh, if there's more about how it came to be, uh, sort of the Genesis, how did you settle on VNN? Talk to me about all of that. Well, uh, I was about, so I worked for KXII in the, in Ada, Oklahoma for a year. And then, after very persistent requests from my news director, I went down to Sherman, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked down there for a year and then the weekend anchor position was becoming available. And so I applied for it. I was like, I want to be an anchor. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, my, what my ultimate goal, my new ultimate goal. And so I signed a, a three year contract. I think it was, and I did it uh, the first year I realized like I did not like it at mm. all. 
um, unfortunately, the the workplace that I was at um, <clears throat> started to become like really toxic. Um, and with some of the people that I was working with, I started developing like severe anxiety uh, mm. to the point where actually towards the end I was having like, uh, and so I was the weekend anchor. I anchored two nights uh, and then I reported three nights. Um, but when I was anchoring, I ended up having like really bad panic attacks, like every time that I was anchoring. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. And it was kind of tasked with just working in TV for three years. Uh, it was not all that I thought it would be. I'm, I probably worked at one of the better stations. Um, I, I loved the people uh, that I loved <laughs> at my work. Yeah. There were some of them. Um, <clears throat> but just the nature of the job, how negative it was, how um, I really didn't feel like I was serving people how I wanted to be serving people. I was telling news from one decided, narrow perspective. Uh, it was never the full story, and it just kind of seemed like the same story over and over, just different faces. Yeah. So there's a lot of problems that I ran into with news that I was not happy with. Um, and so when there came a po uh, an opportunity for an out in my contract that allowed for Tulsa only, um, there was talks of starting a, an independent network. And so I jumped into those um, and really kind of pushed them forward. So in a sense, I was kind of hiring myself out of my contract. Mm -hmm. um, when it was, uh, these ideas were coming about what kind of network would it be and how, how abouts would this go? Um, not only was there a big problem with news and the way that information was put out and the perspectives that was kind of repeated, there's also this other issue of, social media where on Facebook and Twitter you have a lot of misinformation mm. um, there's more people getting news from social media platforms all the time but is it accurate can you trust it it's right. really a big question mark and a lot of the time the answer is no <laughs> uh, so we decided to create our own social news media platform and so it's essentially a social media platform that's designed exclusively for verified news um, <clears throat> originally, it was created for me as a journalist that I could uh, use as a platform to write and share stories, um, but it was really kind of, a, you know, this collaborative effort from a lot of cool. different groups of people. And so we have uh, four categories when we launched it, um, which was journalists, officials, experts and citizens we've since added a five uh, a fifth category which is affiliates and so different um, high quality news organizations that are kind of on the same path as we are um, also contribute news but really quick after we launched this app the idea is that everyone is held to the same journalistic standard and so mm -hmm. and that's the name verified news network um, everything's Got verified it. everything's transparent you go to this platform, you go to our website, looking through our news feeds, you know that everything has been fact-checked, has been uh, glanced over, read through to make sure that we're all upheld to the same journalistic standard. Well, pretty soon we realized that citizens don't necessarily want to be held to the same journalistic standard. <laughs> and we did not have a lot of citizen contributions, but we had 
a lot of journalists that wanted to be a part of what we're doing. We had um, officials like here in Oklahoma, here in Tulsa, the city of Tulsa, Tulsa Police Department, that mm -hmm. wanted to use our network to disseminate their information. Um, and we have partnered with a lot of great affiliates uh, since then that also uh, have created this really great environment of news. And so that is what you know we offer along with you know media education um, as far as uh, information about the news industry and the social media industries themselves. Um, but through our evolution over the last four years, we're now in our fifth year, um, the, the, one of the most important things I think that we do at VNN as far as our uh, original reporting and our journalism work is providing diverse perspectives and reporting on uh, stories that no one else is reporting on that's not getting a lot of attention. And it is crazy just how many of them are in yes. Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I think about how I, I'm engaged. Obviously, I'm here in Tucson and engaged in the work and, and with, with having air to the ground with the community. And so many things go unreported here in Tucson and for something you know, to, to make space for something that happened in Phoenix, for example. Now, mm -hmm. granted, Phoenix is like the fifth largest city in the country. And, you know, the, the, the reach and the scope is a lot greater than something like Tucson. But you would imagine that there would be a commitment to your community first before mm -hmm. sort of reaching outward. And I've always got that vibe from, from VNN that there is a really, really strong focus and commitment to the community to this this particular circle first not not maybe exclusively but but first in, in ways that is is really transparent and palpable and it, it i think it really when i think about the sort of the the model they're you know doing news differently uh that really that strikes a chord with me because of all the things you named i was just going to ask you to to talk about how that model sort of governs what you do and you already did that and I think there's there's a nice there's a nice connection between understanding the traditional way and someone who's had that experience like you going through the different channels, and and how that's really informed how you how you move next. Um, how far does VNN stretch? I know there's VNN in Oklahoma. I know there's VNN Michigan. Any other states or or cities? So, and it's kind of it's kind of tricky because um, you know we really want. VNN to be to scale. And so we want to be in every state and having this be a great mechanism for journalists and other people who care about verified news across the country yeah. to be able to utilize our platform. Um, and it's hard to imagine, but we've been, we, we've gone through a couple of different uh, processes and like, well, how we need to grow. We've had steady growth, but like, I want more growth and I want more reach. I want more funding <laughs> for what we yeah. do because the, the work is really important. Yes. Um, and so we've been, you know, we took part recently in um, an indie graph, uh, indie growth program um, that helped us uh, kind of fine tune our work. We recently took part in a, a Lion slash Google News initiative uh, project, which was a very large company audit and recommendations for us to implement. And everyone told us basically um, that we really have to 
hone in and um, solidify our stronghold in Oklahoma before we can branch out. Because in the beginning, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, the more states, the better. Let's do this. Right. We got we found journalists that were about it. We had developed processes. Um, <clears throat> but uh, and we do a lot of community work in Oklahoma, but we weren't um, there still wasn't a lot of, of awareness about that work, you know, mm-hmm. other than the people that we were directly helping and, and their, right. you know, a, you know, immediate community. Um, right. And so we've, we did expand to, you know, we were in Texas, we were in Alabama, we were in Maryland. Um, but wow. we have kind of dialed back and I had spoke with our journalists, like, you know, in order to be the best for you, we have to be the best here first. Mm-hmm. So I'm really going to be working to redevelop uh, VNN in Oklahoma, which uh, is now officially VNN Oklahoma as yes. where I am working out of. Um, but we do have two journalists in other states um, that are in it for the long haul. Um, nice. And that's VNN Michigan and VNN New York. Um, and we were even in Massachusetts for a brief moment. Um, but that's oh, kind nice. of... One of the things that we do, um, and we've lost a couple of reporters this way, is that we're here to help journalists. Like, we want to help ourselves and we want to be better. But uh, one of the reasons why I started this was so we could be a resource for journalists and we could help journalists and we could improve that quality of life. And sometimes our journalists work with us and they want to go back to TV, but they're between jobs. And so two of the journalists that actually partnered with us in the past have went back to television news and we kind of just served as an in-between time for them to keep their like their reels updated and their work constant and then tv snatched them up again and so that's what happened to our journalist and one of our journalists in massachusetts that was reporting there but um and is that is that a piece of the vision almost like a um i don't want to call it a resume builder but uh, i mean definitely i would say so i would say it's a it's a way for um because it's hard. It is hard being a journalist. Um, there's a lot of people who want to do it. There's, it's a, a very cutthroat industry. Um, you know, you, you work on co- through contracts, and sometimes your contract's not renewed, and it takes you a year or two to find a new contract and a new market yeah. to go to. Um, so that's a, definitely a way that we can continue getting high-quality content contributions from journalists. Is, you know, if whether you want to be a lifer with VNN and kind of go through our vesting program to become a part company owner, which is something that we offer as a way of like maintaining journalists for the long term, or you just want to be here with us between television jobs to uh, as a source of keeping your reel and your resume up to date and even earning money. Like we have different ways that journalists can sign up and um, actually develop streams of income through reporting through our app and so we're really here just to help uh, all kinds of people <laughs> that's great man that's that's uh i love that and i love that whole idea i um maybe we'll talk offline about 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 some thoughts that i've had on something similar as well so that's a good that's a good deal <laughs> I, I, I love that um so now being public facing uh, I know many people are, are watching you <clears throat> for better or for worse. And, you know, I, on, I've had people, you know, 
say to me like, Hey, uh, you know, I saw the, I saw this chopping block. It was great. I had one woman tell me that she got a speaking gig off of it. And I'm like, I know from who, I didn't know they were watching it. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then I've also had people say like your, your models and your theories are, are not effective. They're, they're, mm -hmm. you know, on the, you know, they're problematic. They're not so on and so forth. And so it can be difficult to hear sometimes. And it can also be difficult to, to, to hold back maybe your perspective that you really want to share and how you want to share it. And because we have in a sense of responsibility, you know, as public facing people, whether it's to our own kids, to the youth, to other folks. So, um, and that Brittany, what is your responsibility as a journalist? And, you know, do you have responsibility to other women and young women who have shared a similar story as you, or who are thinking about going out on this on their own in such a, a, a still heavily male dominated field in industry. So what is your, what is your responsibility as a journalist? And then do you have a responsibility to other women and other people who are looking to do something similar? Well, it's hard and there's so many different ways <laughs> to kind of go off there, but I will say journalism is particularly tricky because as journalists, we're really not supposed to have opinions on anything. Mm. Um, we're not supposed to have political opinions. We're not supposed to have real big opinions on social issues um, because we're right. not. That's still true to... in 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, and I mean, I can see it. It's very important. And I do try to keep a lot of my um, opinions uh, private um, because, you know, not to just, I don't want to alienate anyone because there's still oh. a lot of people out there that think that just because we don't think the same uh, on things that we can't be in touch, that yeah. we can't be connected. I, agree um, with that. I, I don't like to, you know, be around um, people that just think the same way as me. I like debating. I like talking about, you know, different issues. Um, uh, but I definitely draw the line at things that offend other people. Like if, yes. you know, if you're hurting others or, you know, offending others, or mistreating um, others, then yeah. <laughs> that is something that I draw the line at that, you know, uh, that kind of goes into my next um, line of thinking is that something that makes me different, maybe from other journalists, other news organizations is that I am a human first. And so nice. a lot of the times in journalism, um, it's, you know, it's like, we're supposed to forget that, you know, <laughs> that we're humans and not robots and that, mm -hmm. you know, we have feelings and that, um, so kind of going in with, I, I don't, if there's someone being hurt or there's someone being, um, mistreated or there's wrongs committed against someone, even though I am a journalist, I will speak on that. Um, and I think that that, sh I honestly think that anyone should do that. Uh, but I know that it is, um, it's difficult and a lot of people will probably, you know, stay out of it, um. Uh, it does, it's not any of my business or, or whatever, but I right, think right. that um, the well-being of our, our fellow humans is everyone's business yeah. um, and that it's not a political issue um, or, a, you know, a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a human issue. And so yeah. that is where a lot of uh, the, my passion uh, for journalists uh, for journalism comes through is with that mentality uh, is that we should all be helping each other and helping to make our world better. It is uh, <laughs> difficult, uh, you know, 
uh, with kind of uh, furthering the female perspective Mm. um, here in Oklahoma and even in my own household. Um, Like me and my husband don't agree on everything. Um, I will kind of be really quick to stand up for women and what I, 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 I believe in and what I think and, and what's wrong, you know, with our society in regards to, to women and Mm -hmm. not really having much of a voice or, um, a lot of equity, uh, in this state and other places. And, you know, we'll, we'll have conversations like, oh, you know, uh, there's nothing systematic that, you know, keeps women down. And, right, right, you know, right. we'll debate that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. In I our mean, house. <laughs> and, and elsewhere. And of course. And, you know, I, you know, you said a lot of good things there. And, you know, even, even as you close off on that point, this ability to, if nothing else, have the conversation, I think it's something that is missing. I, dare I say the word nowadays? Um, it is the conversation is a lot less tolerated than it once was. And there's, there's nuances to that. I mean, a lot of times the conversation can be, or is framed to be harmful. And the person, a person is coming from a perspective of, of harm. And I use that word because as you were talking about essentially on a spectrum, where and when we can have a discussion, I've always used harm as that, as that middle point. And my historical idol, James Baldwin always essentially said, you and I reserve the right to disagree with one another so long as your disagreement isn't at the expense of myself or my loved ones. And growth and development, which is at the core of what we do at Visceral Change, requires discomfort, requires mm-hmm. it. It requires like intellectual dissonance and pushing and pulling. It requires that because without it, I mean, you played some sports coming up and, and you you were a little bit of an athlete and you got after it. I mean, how are you going to get better if you don't introduce a challenge into what you're doing? If you, if you lift weights, you want to put weight on, you just do, you know, 15 pounds all the time. You're not having the accurate, the, the adequate amount of resistance to help your body grow. And so, so challenge and push and pull. And in this case, as you mentioned, my like debate and discussion is, is required. It's necessary for, for the growth and development. However, I don't think, and as you, as you said, I don't think we should, feel the need to entertain something that is harmful to us. I think that can be really problematic. Uh, you, you wrote a piece back in February on essentially the state of affairs for women and, and really people of color in terms of advancement. And they only have sort of a fraction of a chance to advance in the news industry. Mm-hmm. Two questions. Number one, why was it important for you to write that? And two... <clears throat> Is there anything that VNN does or can do to help maybe bridge that gap? Um, I, I feel like it's important um, always to kind of call out when there is um, not equality and not equity. And, and so that, um, you know, even through reporting and research and my own growth, and the growth of our network is kind of really important to understand the differences there of things may be equal, uh, mm-hmm. but they're not necessary, necessarily equitable. Yes. Um, and so yeah. when we have these established systems of, you know, power of, you know, one gender uh, having more power than the other, 
or one race having more power than the other um, and kind of just keeping those established norms. Um, I feel like, and it's hard that, you know, a lot of <laughs> businesses, companies don't, organizations don't see that, that you're really hurting uh, your establishment. Um, you're right. stifling your own growth. Um, and that is just <laughs> I really, all the time. It, it, it's because you're not, you know, we, we are a diverse country. And even yeah. in Oklahoma, we are a diverse state, even though, you know, there are um, these, this established perspective that just mm -hmm. permeates everything. Um, and so I feel like it's important to call that out so that um, it is addressed in other areas, especially yeah. in news coverage, uh, because you're controlling the news and information people see. And if you're only sharing news from one perspective, say that's, you know, um, adversity or um, just negative news coverage of, um, you know, one race over another, or if we're dealing with gender, um, only talking about the accomplishments of men, uh, then, right. you know, you're only empowering a, one group uh, of people and you're yeah. um, perpetuating negative stereotypes of another group of people. Right. And news is just so powerful in media and information um, that that has a, a big impact in all of society. And so not only do we try with our news coverage to really promote diverse perspectives um, and dig deep at, you know, uh, in-depth reporting of these societal systems and issues that really cause uh, things in our society to be the way they are. Um, when we also are talking about uh, people who own media um, and uh, who are a part of the decisions that are being made, um, that I, I'd love to see that change across all organizations here at VNN. Um, we really uh, try to align ourselves with journalists who also care um, about diverse issues and have like a lot of diversity in our makeup. Um, sure. So we, we have a, a journalist vesting program I mentioned earlier um, mm -hmm. that allows that if you've been with us for a certain amount of time and you've contributed to our network that you can become a part company owner of our network. Uh, 1%. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it was, it, and I mean, this, it exists for everyone, like just how news and information, like it's not just me talking down to people or me telling sure. people what they need to know. This is our community telling us what they need and right. us acting on it. Um, and so we have two, we're owned by uh, three journalists as part of our um, makeup. And so it's me here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, another woman in Michigan that owns 1% ownership. Uh, a white woman, and then we have a black woman named Rocky in New York hey. who has uh, another one percent ownership. Um, oh wow! So we go in the, um, the stock market, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it's it, they. Um, I keep them. They are like instrumental. I, I keep uh, in contact with them about yes. the the direction that BNN is going in, um, what we're working on, how to grow. Um, we're looking for you know, more journalists as part of this vesting program so that people with news experience can actually have a say. Uh, and it's, it's not just um, not having a lot of diverse uh, 
ownership. It's about mm-hmm. not having a lot of journalist ownership because we have right. people that own news businesses that have no experience in news. And that I feel is right. a, a dangerous thing. But right. the majority of our company, 51%, um, is actually owned by my husband, who is a Native American. And so uh, we're majority uh, Native American owned here in mm. Oklahoma. And the wow. rest of the ownership is uh, uh, kind of made up. And we have up to, I want to say, I think it's something like 20%, up to 20% of our company is reserved for journalist ownership. And so that kind wow. of, uh, we do a lot of uh, indigenous coverage in Oklahoma and you know beyond uh, because of that ownership is, uh, and that uh, stake is really important. And it's something that, uh, it's surprising, but almost 15% of the population here in Oklahoma is indigenous, uh, either yeah, only absolutely. or in part. But you would not know that by the news coverage in the state no, because of not. there's right. not a lot of coverage of indigenous issues, indigenous ongoings, having that voice be prevalent in the news ecosystem. And we actually just recently uh, conducted a survey uh, process through Trusting News with uh, local and indigenous uh, citizens here from different tribes. Um, and a vast majority of them said that when news is reported on uh, indigenous news, that it is mainly negative and reflects badly upon the tribe. Sure. So that really gets the questions going of who's you know pushing this narrative, why is this right. narrative so uh, permeating and it's on a, it's not you know all malicious, but it is an easy thing because you know yeah. you go you go to your easy source of news, which is you know government, your local, uh, you know official, yeah. and that is not the community perspective. And so I feel no. like that's a really big reason why the news has kind of left the the community perspective. Uh, and I used to be really like negative about the news, like yeah, they're you know they're just you're they're making the whole industry look bad and but it's really a very complicated uh problem because the journalists and even you know their bosses are trying to do so much with no funding and that the right. funding crisis for news media uh in america is a totally different very issue. real yeah for <laughs> sure <its> own conversation <laughs> yeah well i last season i had someone on like i mentioned uh from massachusetts who's a news director uh and said the same thing, you know, the, the coverage is very biased across the board, at least in his experience and mm-hmm. especially at the, the bigger stations. And, mm-hmm. you know, the challenge is really in his perspective, the challenge has become trying to uh, present verify and verifiable information that, mm-hmm. that is honest and is grounded in integrity. You actually took the next question right out of, right out of off the page and didn't mm-hmm. even have to hit my mouth yet, which was, I noticed that there was a very strong focus on indigeneity. Um, I noticed that there was uh, one of your videos even said that you'll be focusing on in, in indigenous uh, issues for the rest of the year. Where, mm-hmm. for the sake of the podcast, we're, we're in October 2022 at the moment, uh, and there's an indigenous section on your website dedicated to making indigenous news more mainstream. And so, I don't think we have to revisit that. But you you offered um, a lot of information as to why that might be the case. I do I do want to create some space to see if there's anything else you want to share there as well. But you you definitely answered that that question as it pertained to why an indigenous identity 
has a, has a big stake in VNN. Is there anything else about that particular topic that you think would be helpful um, that kind of cements why VNN does what they do in that area? Well, I think that um, Oklahoma has such a complicated history, obviously, you know, yeah. from the forced removal of uh, Native American tribes from their ancestral homelands to here, uh, and then particularly, you know, I mean, in Tulsa, but across Oklahoma, then discovering that there was oil and natural gas and all these resources um, that on the lands of these that they forced uh, these Native American people to come to, and then, you know, then and. systematically stripping their land away and uh, essentially making them homeless and living in poverty. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something that's really not even taught very in depth in schools, like that history of Oklahoma. Right. Um, not in that way either. Yeah. Or <laughs> how much social issues still exist from yes. that happening. I mean, it was only, you know, less than a hundred years ago, this was still going on. And even, yeah. you know, um, the, the decades that followed that, you know, there, there was still this process. I mean, it's just, just, it's a very uh, negative situation uh, looking bad on the state of Oklahoma. Yes. So I think a lot of people would like to choose to ignore it and just move on. But the, the, it, and again, it's one of those things that I don't understand that people don't understand is you can't move on no. without addressing and recognizing and remedying as best as possible, you know, what happened. And so we're focusing on uh, through the end of the year and probably beyond um, a new series that we uh, have created in partnership with the Lucinda Hickory Research Institute, uh, which that. is a, a research institute uh, here in Tulsa area that uh, looks into allotment crimes to really raise awareness about um, those particular uh, issues and those stories, which mm. are, and it's crazy how unknown it is right now. Um, there's a lot of talk about, uh, of course, the Killers of the Flower Moon that was filmed here earlier this mm -hmm. year, the mm -hmm. Osage murders, but that mm -hmm. happened, um, those happened 20 years after it happened here in Tulsa. Um, uh. And that is, uh, you know, the suspicious deaths, the, right. the swindling of the land. Uh, the yep. city of Tulsa, the entire thing used to be allotted land for Native Americans, and now there's barely any uh, that the still The entire have. continent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, well, the, I mean, definitely as far as being Native American land, but the... Right the land allotments were specifically like with the Dawes Act when they made citizens register um, and say how much percentage of um, degree of Indian blood they were. They were given 140 acres uh, mm. for uh, to live on, um, which is a way actually because Native Americans lived in communities or they lived in like, you know, familial uh, settings, you know, with mm -hmm. their families and big groups. And so to kind of forced them to separate onto these big allotments was another way of yeah. uh, assimilating them into European culture. Um, and so, but each, every area of Tulsa was a land allotment. That was part of that Native American citizens, 140 acres, but through the court system um, and, you know, flat out murder and um, 
and, and other, you know, you know, jail systems, um, all of that land uh, was lawyered away from these Native Americans that were allotted it um, so that it could be redeveloped and, you know, they could mine it or they could build, you know, right. houses on it or, or whatever. Um, but there, this is a relatively not talked about thing here in Tulsa. Yeah. Um, sure. So that there's just so many areas in, uh, of work and support of news and information, I feel. Uh, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with Oklahoma <laughs> history or all the craziness that's going on right now. But even like uh, with the McGirt ruling a couple years ago, uh, it was mm -hmm. a really big move from the Supreme Court um, that affirmed that uh, much of eastern Oklahoma is still a reservation. And so that that's was right. something that was not even recognized uh, yeah. really in the eyes of the, the land, the state of Oklahoma. And so right. the state of Oklahoma still really doesn't recognize it. Um, but so this is, you know, even 100 years later, these tribal nations are still fighting for sovereignty. And I think right. the majority of the people that live here really don't understand that. And even when the news, you know, was covering it, um, it really was not a, lot, a point of, you know, the sovereign issues of you know these tribes and so um as you can see there's a lot to talk about and yeah. a lot of work <laughs> in this space and i was sure. really i was spread thin all over the place we we are doing like justice involved uh stuff we're doing um stuff about freedmen coverage yeah. uh which is Saw that. Uh, the native americans and not all of them yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh some of them owned slaves and brought them you know from their ancestral homelands um and uh but even that issue uh is a crazy one because you know you have your native americans uh and you have you know your freedmen descendants and there's still there's still a lot of hostility there mm -hmm. um but uh a, a, an important thing to remember um and that we try to kind of get through as kind of like a you know uh, uh, a thing to not be forgotten when we're talking about this is that not the this, the Native Americans that owned slaves were the ones who were assimilated. And that's something that the federal government and the traders actually pushed uh, as a way to make sure that Native Americans and uh, slaves or freed slaves or any African Americans didn't align and unite against that uh the european colonists and so uh, and that animosity still exists today uh and and what we and there's a lot of people you know when we talk about it it's like yeah you know you you uh these groups um were designed to be uh at odds with each other instead of working together and that right. is an effort that still uh exists today and so yeah. we we I mean, it is relative to the same issue, but we, we have Friedman coverage and we have indigenous coverage uh, and they right. interlap, but they are really big enough to have their own arenas. And so when we report, uh, you know, we, it's important for us a lot of the times to have them not competing with each other because that does create a lot of, you know, hard feelings, a lot of divisiveness. And that's mm -hmm. something that even I wanted to touch on earlier when we're talking about, you know, issues and different opinions um, like neither one of these are, are wrong. Like the native Americans were definitely wronged here and the freedmen, um, and the enslaved people were definitely wrong. 
Like they mm-hmm. could both be wronged. You know, yes. it, it doesn't have yes. to be um, a, a, a competition. Um, yeah. And that is something that I feel like happens a two. lot in any kind of debate is that like you can have two people wronged. You can have two people. Um, yeah, two, that two things have, can be true at the same time. Exactly. Right. And so that's something, too, that I feel like a lot of uh, people who want divisiveness and who want people not working together and who want people, you know, to be awkward and, and ashamed and um, and afraid to talk about things. I think that that really works in the, the, the favor of people who don't. Uh, want people to unite and to like appreciate their differences and so that's something that we try to do as well as bring attention to that yeah and that's why and you know we mentioned offline a little bit but that's why information matters i mean the number one reason in my opinion number one reason for pushback against things like dei and justice it is misinformation in my opinion it's the it's the number one pushback uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in in states that are pushing back against critical race theory, which I'm sure you've heard of before, in states that are pushing back against <clears throat> critical race theory, they're also banning what's called socio-emotional intelligence or socio-emotional learning, which yeah. is, right, so they're, they're doing that in tandem because if you had a sense of empathy, you'd be able to connect at least intellectually to what critical race theory is trying to say. Like if I, if, 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 and and in this case, right, if I knew about, about the tragedies and the horrors that indigenous people went through, and if I'm in Oklahoma, right, in my own state of Oklahoma, then I would have a, a a feeling of of sympathy and empathy towards that. That would make me want to act in, in the form of justice. And so these states are operating in a way that says we can't have these two together because if you have one, you'll likely have the other. Much like how you all, you were sort of suggesting that there was this movement to keep blacks and indigenous folks away from each other so that they didn't team up and rebel, you know, because one of the older, oldest questions are like, weren't these folks floating around at the same time and during enslavement and, and mm-hmm. uh, facing not the same, but <clears throat> oppression in general? And, uh, you know, that you start talking about the system at that point in time and this, this, this system that people don't believe exists uh, is, is not, it's not it doesn't have a physical form. It's these structures, these policies and these practices that are in place that coerce or indoctrinate or create environments where people feel powerless or feel like they can't engage in a certain way. So I'm glad that you were able to to share on, on the great work VNN is doing for the indigenous communities. And also uh, knowing that I know your husband probably has a decent stake in that and, and that the work is, is, is still central there because that's information that here in Tucson, sitting on Pasquayaki and Tohono O'odham land, we always try to make sure that indigenous um, issues are, are, are at the focus as well. Uh, Brittany, I only have like a question or two left. Um, if you have to jet, let me know. But I, I got a, a question and a half and then I'll send you on your way. Is that okay? Sounds good. I got, okay. I got the time. <laughs> okay, great. Um, you posted a shot of VNN back in 2019, first official broadcast, and then one recently here in 2022. And it was like, whoa, right? What a difference in, you know, structure, a difference in, I think you named like there was an orange curtain behind you, which by the way, mm-hmm. that orange is extremely loud, not in a bad way. 
it's, 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 it's grabbing, right? It gets your attention. And I'd be curious to know if you wanted to answer, if that was an intentional call, but that, that's a, that's a separate question. Um, but it, it was very much a, like a, like a, uh, like a, whoa, like this is, you can see the growth and development, something I can really relate to when I think about when I first launched Visceral Change as a, a one-man band show, hey, you know, pick me, I have something to say, to now this organizational development firm where we work internationally with people on strategic planning and policies and and shifting organizations and, and top-tier institutions and stuff like that and having opportunities I would have never ever thought I had in front of me. So I, I get that. Um, is there, talk about, talk about the journey from 2019 to 2022, even, even if briefly, uh, but what I'm really interested to know is if there is a moment that you're most proud of, as you reflect back on this journey, the last three years in particular, from official broadcast one to now. It's a, it's a big question. <laughs> it's okay. If well, you side note, um, I, I, I quit my job at TV and I moved up here and with my, uh, now husband to do VNN. Mm-hmm. Um, and I launched my business, got all the balls rolling, took all this massive loan to build our first app, uh, launched the business. And three days later I found out I was pregnant. Oh. Uh, so that was <laughs> not part of the plan. Um, <laughs> And so that was in 2019. And so that there was like, there's no choice. Like, like now you're going to do both of them and you're going to figure it out. And so uh, we started, you know, with our investigative reporting, we started that, um, that broadcast um, so to make sure that we're, you know, putting out videos because mm-hmm. that's a big important part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is just uh I was so proud of that broadcast then, you know, I was like, this looks yeah, so great. Like, you know, <laughs> this editing is, you know, top notch and our graphics and um, it's just every day you get a little better. Every day you figure out something better every, you know, now I use a green screen and, and have a, right. a much more elaborate setup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would never have what I have today if I didn't have that back then. And so it's yes. embarrassing. A lot. I'm embarrassed by a lot of things that, you know, <laughs> we produced for the company four years ago. Um, but there's no way that you get better. It's kind of like full circle to what you had said earlier um, without taking those first steps and, um, you know, uh, not giving up. And it's yeah. kind of building off where you, you came from. Uh, yes. And so we've done we've done a lot of great work. Um, as far as I would say like our biggest accomplishments and I, I used to think that like getting grants, you know, and, and getting funding and, and that was like the most important thing and getting our next big grant and like seeing, mm-hmm. um, but it's like, it's, it's not like I spend it all. I spend it all back into the business. So no matter how much I get, it is gone. You know, I'm That's not right. rich doing this, nope, I get <laughs> I'm you. sustaining my life uh, as, as best as I can. Yeah. Um, but I would say like, the biggest things that uh, have been like the community members that have said, like we, we did a case back um, a few years ago, I want to say where no one else had helped this woman uh, that her grandson had been abused. Um, Mm. And the DA had kind of uh, for years, never pressed any kind of charges, never made any kind of decision in this case about uh, her abused child. 
Um, but we kind of, you know, forced the envelope and, and, and pushed the issue until eventually, you know, this DA, uh, DA's office was forced to come out and say, uh, no, we can't press charges. Uh, we're declining to press charges because uh, there's no case anymore. Too much time mm. has passed, mm. essentially. Um, wow. So it's not the outcome that we were wanting, but, um, you know, it, it was closure for this person yes. uh, and this family that they would never have gotten otherwise. And we, I have one more example. There's a case that we've been working on, uh, the April Wilkins case. I started researching it over a year ago um, and uh, did a, a, a series of in-depth stories. Uh, April Wilkins is a woman who's currently serving a life sentence in uh, an Oklahoma prison for uh, killing her rapist and abuser. Um, that she really got the short end of the stick in this jury trial that was, you know, more than two decades ago. Um, and we, you know, we started working with her, with her, her family, of uh, reporting on this news coverage because, unfortunately, uh, the man that she killed was the son of a local millionaire. And so, and he owned a lot uh. of, uh, he advertised with a lot of the media companies here, with the radio stations and the television stations, so they wouldn't carry the story because, uh, you know, he wow. would his advertising yeah, of um, course. that problem you know is was up until you know this year really um, wow. but we reached out to uh, an attorney uh, as part of our interview series that we were doing uh, with trying to get the story out there um, and you know one thing led to another and this one of the attorneys that we reached out to to give us comment on this story actually teamed up with another attorney and launched their own podcast called Panic Button earlier this year to mm. bring an amazing amount of coverage to this April Wilkins case. And it's pretty much as soon as our, our well ran out, we're like, I mean, we're, we're a small network. We did as much yeah. as we could. We raised awareness. We kind of kept, you know, ignited this flame and kind of fanned it as long as we could. And then we were right. kind of like at an impasse, like, all right, well, what happens next? <laughs> I'm like right. kind of running out of ideas here. But this podcast launched, these two uh, lawyers, um, they started – uh, one of them started the uh, Oklahoma Appleseed Center for Law and Justice, uh, which is doing like all this amazing work in criminal justice. And they recently just filed uh, 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 documents in court to have April's um, sentence tossed out or to her to get a new trial just because of all the stuff that they were able to uncover through right. this, their research and their work on this podcast, Panic Button. Um, so... It was it was amazing uh, wow. to kind of see that like where our journey kind of ends, this other one begins. Ends, yeah. Um, and so I'd like to think that our work on the April Wilkins case here in Oklahoma was uh, a part of this uh, snowball effect that yeah. has kind of led to this great change. And and so that probably was the most incredible thing was was seeing. Um, something that we worked so hard on for so long, not knowing, you know, if it would ever really matter. Um, and now to to see that, you know, she might actually get out of prison, something we knew that we were never going to be able to accomplish. Like, we're not lawyers, we're journalists. We <laughs> right, just, right. We're just hoping Crazy to wins, kind yeah. of put in this out into the universe that hope, hopefully the right people will, will get involved. And, and that definitely happens. That's here. incredible. So, uh, and that's no, that, that's no small victory either. That's... That's a big deal, the April it is, family. 
It is hard because a lot of our work uh, as a small news and information, like, you know, we have a we have a pretty good following on social media. We have, you know, we have uh, some good traction uh, with our articles and our YouTube channel. Um, but we are pretty much kind of like the catalysts that send a lot of coverage and a lot of work and a lot of things that are being done. So we don't really get a lot of recognition a lot of sure. the time when, you know, the snowball ends up being a big snowball, but it's like, we right. know, you know, where that we were talking about these things, you know, before they became mainstream and, you know, that right. we were kind of pushing, uh, pushing the, these, uh, this awareness and like these different areas. And, and so, um, a lot of it and is, you know, I don't mean to bring God and spirituality, uh, you know, into the arena, um, and, <laughs> okay. uh, as, but I, well, it's kind of like a natural way uh for me to exist because that is um that humbleness is kind of you know really necessary for the work that i do i drive myself crazy if i was like man me me like hello like look at the work i'm doing like you know this is really awesome stuff and and no one's really knowing what we're doing but um it's kind of like that that connection that like you know we're doing work I think for the greater good, the work that, yes. you know, I was designed to do and right. knowing that that is being done and that, you know, people, a lot people's lives are getting better. Um, it's kind of, you know, taking myself out of the equation and, and knowing that that's, that's really down to it. You know, what our work is, is making things better for everyone. And, you know, they're not necessarily going to be better for everyone if I focus all the attention on myself. So, I love that. Whatever you want to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, super, super powerful and really, really profound. It's actually a beautiful way to get to my final question. You, you're just, you're killing the segues today. That's what I so. do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stuff together. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My final question, Brittany, and, and again, thank you for taking some time to connect with me and to connect with the audience on the chopping block today. Um. And you said so much and so much wonderful stuff and took us on a, a, I think a really delicate yet powerful journey of your life. Really. Um, there's a wonderful quote I came across, came across it in my phone yesterday. I, uh, I'm writing a book series. I just finished book one. I'm like, I gotta put a, I have to put a quote in here, you know, somewhere like as you where you know, where I would sign the autograph, like mm -hmm. that page, I had to find a quote. So I'm, I'm look, I keep like a bunch of quotes in my phone and I'm like, uh, I come across, and I came across one. I didn't use it, but, um, it was from a woman that by the name of, of Deborah Hunter, who I, I, I cannot recall. She's at UVM university of Vermont. And hmm. I'm like, I don't remember ever seeing, I looked her up to see if she was the actual person. She, she was <laughs> professor. And I'm like, I don't remember ever coming across her. I don't remember ever, ever, uh, meeting her. could have been at a conference. Who knows? She might've, she might've spoken somewhere. I don't know. But she, uh, her name was listed, so I want to give her credit. And the quote was, the secret to who we become is who we meet along the way. And that was really powerful for me because I'm, I'm big on mentorship and big on being mentored and being a mentor. So my question to you, Brittany, is in hindsight, as you reflect, is there anything you would say to younger Brittany, Brittany Porter this time, mm -hmm. who had this long road ahead of her in terms of uh, being remaining open, uh, listening to people, mentorship. Is there anything that you would say to younger Brittany to 
and remind her to that to keep going, to stay stronger. That that she is beautiful. To use the Gina Variety song. <laughs> Ooh, there's a lot I would say to younger Britney. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, been mad at younger Britney quite a bit. Mm. <laughs> she caused me a lot of extra work in my, my current <laughs> life. <laughs> um, um, I know it's kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's really cliche, um, and it kind of, I would, I would imagine, leave a lot of room for debate um, because we all are important, we all matter, and we all are somebody. Um, you know, even back when I was not living right and I was rebelling and I was, uh, you know, hurting myself in a lot of ways, um, I was still somebody. Right. Um, but if I could tell my younger self anything, it would be that you are going to be somebody. And um, somebody is the sense that, you know, that matters to people, that helps people, that, you know, is a good person. Um, And that is someone that is important. Uh, Because when I was, you know, younger and kind of living through all that, I I did feel like I didn't matter. And I did kind of just feed into the negative things that were said about me and and how others, you know, treated me. And um, but I definitely didn't know back then that I would be doing what I loved and that I would be part of, you know, a really, I'd be part of my own loving family and kind of making my dreams come true that I'd own a house. Like I didn't think that any of those things would be (laughs) uh, in (laughs) my life and that I would be, you know, my life is, it's hard because I make it hard. I'm when you're your own boss, you're yeah, yeah. the hardest boss you've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, but it would be that you are going to be somebody and that you're going to matter to a lot of people because um, I like to think that I do and that the work that we do here at VNN does. Love that, Brittany. Thank you so much for ending on that note and for joining us. It, uh, where can people find you? It's the way I like to end these interviews. Uh, um, websites hashtags, ads, anything like that. Uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? So I like to think that, you know, we have enough of a presence now that if you just searched Verified News Network in Google, that you'd be able to find all of our stuff. But, um, yes, you can. I'll, 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 I'll vouch for that. <laughs> I'll verify deal. that for you. Well, that, that Google work is working. <laughs> um, but our website is uh, also pretty easy to remember. You can remember that. It's verifiednews.network and so then you can link to all of our work and jump around there uh, it's a website that's about three years in the making so it's full of lots of fun stuff hey. and then of course any way that you want to get in contact uh, with me any message you send on the website I'm the one that sees it <laughs> nice and uh, yeah Fantastic. And make sure you have your sunglasses on. They're ready for that orange as you, as you <laughs> yeah, on the website. Right. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's enough. It's enough of a warning with kind of being, it's a subdued warning. Pay attention, <laughs> but we're not That's too right. offensive. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Brittany, well, thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. I'm so oh, glad I got pleasure. to catch up with you after 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Essentially, I think that actually could be spot on. Uh, what? Yeah, I think that is actually 
that is actually spot on. So yes, Brittany, thank you so much for taking a second to connect and for joining us here on the chopping block. And for my listeners, my people watching, thank you so much for joining us as we continue on with season four. I'm Dr. Sherrod Robbins. This is Brittany Harlow, and you are on the chopping block at visceralchange.org.